This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And today, um, our subject is global engagement. And what we've done is we've brought together three of our students here at Dallas Theological Seminary. They will represent three different continents. So you all have a big representation uh, place here. Um, and uh, to discuss uh, being a Christian in the United States and being a Christian outside the United States and, and what the similarities and differences are. And I will introduce uh, each of the students. I'll let them give their full names. But I've got Shane here from Ireland and Mikhail here from, from – well, grew up in the Philippines and then Cesar from Venezuela. And I will let you all give your names and where you're from and then we'll, we'll start in. Great. Uh, well, my name is Shane Anglund uh, from County Clare in Ireland, so I'm from the West Coast, um, studying here at DTS, THM program. Beautiful part of the world. I took a trip it's out there good. with my brother, and, and we were in the Galway area, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. Great. So uh, we love Ireland. Mikel? Yeah, I'm Mikel Del Rosario. I'm in the uh, THM program. Uh, I was born in Evanston, Illinois, but I grew up in the Philippines in Quezon City from the time I was three years old up until uh, I graduated from high school. Okay. And Cesar? My name is Cesar Restrepo. I'm from Caracas, Venezuela. I'm in my third year of the THM program at DTS. And you have a fine Texas accent. I just want you to know I'm that. I'm catching that. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have any gals here. We actually did ask for uh, a female student, and we were unable to, to get a hold of her in time to bring her in. And I just mentioned that because you'll look at this table and you'll say, well, this is a global engagement discussion, and half the population isn't represented. And so... Uh, we were attempting to do that, and I'm sure we'll uh, do that in the in the future. But for now, um, this is our group. So as you can see, we have uh, Europe represented, mm -hmm. uh, and then we have Asia represented, and and Latin America, South America represented here. So um, let's uh, let's start first a little bit with your story, so people can get to know you. Uh, Shane, mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit about your your upbringing and and how you came to know Christ. Sure. Uh, well, as I said, I'm from County Clare in Ireland, so I grew up in a predominantly Roman Catholic uh, part of the country, mm -hmm. so my parents um, were born-again Christians, so that was something unusual for my community that I grew up in, um, But uh, so I was raised in that, in that context. Um, going to school, my brother and I would have been the only non uh, Roman Catholics in our whole school, in our whole town. Um, so we were kind of almost a, a minority, if you will, within mm -hmm. within that community. Um, so I came to faith from the gospel of my parents. They shared faith with me, and I became a Christian as a young kid. Grew up in our small church, which, which used to meet in a, uh, a friends of ours, their living room in their home. Oh, wow. That was the church, basically. Really small. Yeah, pretty small. Yeah. Uh, so we'd all just fit into their living room, and that was Sunday church for us for many years. Um, 
so yeah, that's. Do you have a? Was there a denominational connection to the church, or was it just a, uh, just a group of, of people meeting together in church? Yeah, it pretty much was just a group of people meeting together. Uh, there wasn't a denomination for it. I mean, so you were the County Kerry County church. Clare church. church. Yeah, yeah County Clare yeah. church. Yeah, I know. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it seems strange, but we weren't affiliated with any denomination at that time or anything like that. It was, we were just known as born again Christians. Now, uh, did that change as you grew up, or did you stay in in a, in a small church context? No, I stayed in a small church context growing up. I mean, that church has grown. Mm-hmm. quite a bit since then. Um, they now have a building, there's approximately 100 people in that community, mm-hmm. and it's, the church is known as NS Evangelical Church, mm-hmm. so they, they define themselves as an evangelical church now. But, yeah. Oh, wow, well, that's, that's interesting. So, well, well, yeah, that's important. Part of what we want to discuss is what it's like living as a minority um, in, culturally, and of course in Europe, uh, Christians themselves are, are a growing minority, so mm-hmm. that's going to be important. Mikhail, tell us about, how, about your upbringing. Yeah, well, again, I was born in Evanston, Illinois. My mom was a Fulbright scholar to Northwestern, mm-hmm. and she got her PhD in social psychology. So I grew up in graduate, graduate housing, mm-hmm. staying up late, you know, my parents doing their papers and Mm -hmm. me just like staying up real late and when I was three years old we moved back to the Philippines Mm. so I grew up there in a a city called Quezon City um, up until spent a couple years in Maryland while my dad was getting some further education Mm -hmm. but I didn't really come to uh, live in the United States as an adult until I was in college Mm -hmm. I went to Biola Mm -hmm. I met my wife at Biola Mm -hmm. and then um, after I graduated uh, with my BA, I got an MA from Biola, and then we went overseas uh, back to the Philippines as missionaries, my wife and I mm. and our little uh, little boy mm. uh, who, who was just one year old at the time. Mm-hmm. So we went back there and then we helped to train Filipinos um, uh, who were going overseas as English teachers. Mm-hmm. We helped equip them uh, with worldview training and apologetics and things like this. Now, Quezon City, is that the second largest city in the Philippines or it's, not? It's part of uh, Metro Manila, oh, okay. which is a big, gigantic okay. metropolis. So yeah. Okay. So you so you're, and the church that you were in in, in the Philippines probably bigger than than Change Church. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it was one of the the mega churches in the area actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, so mega church in the Philippines would mean. Oh gosh, I I don't know. There's. Thousands. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely thousands, right. thousands. It's it's like a like a bayside. The small uh, groups in your church would be bigger than the people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. This is kind of like uh, in Sacramento, California. They had a uh, they have a big mega church called Bayside. It was kind of like that. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Great, Cesar. Um, in Caracas, uh, um, most people are Catholics. Ninety percent of the people are Catholics. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the dominant religion there. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up in a Catholic family, mm-hmm. and. Uh, one day, some uh, kids preached to me, and I just got converted. Mm-hmm. I backslid for many years as I was going through medical school, and uh, after many years, I came back to faith, went back to a very small church uh, founded by American missionaries, mm-hmm. and then after that, I just got married with, with a nice Christian uh, girl who is now my wife, mm-hmm. and that's where I, I heard about DTS. and. Mm. And then I decided to come here. Okay. Now that you, you've you've um, anticipated my next question, which is good. So you came here, and you've been here what three years, four years now? Almost three years. Okay. Yes. 
And so, and you grew up all of your life in Venezuela until you came here. Yes, I did uh, my medical training in Venezuela. Although I spent two years doing my inter- my uh, fellowship in the U.S. Okay, in Massachusetts. So you had yes. been here before. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Great. Well, that's good. So variety of experiences mm-hmm. here. So how did Shane? How did you get to Dallas? Ah, oh, it's an interesting one. I guess. Um, I was sitting in a cafe on Hirshatik Street in Kiev mm-hmm. in Ukraine, and I was reading an article by this guy called Dan Wallace. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> but he was talking about the Greek language and mm-hmm. how important it was, and I felt, you know, that's, that's something I could really see use for, a use for in ministry, because at that time I was serving with InterVarsity mm-hmm. in Ukraine mm-hmm. as a missionary uh, with my wife, and I really felt that to get a good theological training was essential for what I wanted to do in the future, working with the church. And so I, I thought this guy, Dan Wallace, seemed pretty pretty trustworthy, so I decided to check out DTS, and here I am. Wow. So, <laughs> so a recruitment for all the way from Kiev. That's that, I don't know if I've heard a story like that before. That's interesting. And by Ireland by way of Kiev yeah, to Dallas. It just it. That, we got to work on the geography of that or something. Uh, Mikhail, how'd you get to Dallas? Well, actually, back in the Philippines, the megachurch that I was at, the pastor was a DTS guy. Hmm. Yeah, Luis Pantoja was his name. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I heard lots of great things about DTS, even as a, as a junior high, high schooler. Um, and then I went to Biola, mm-hmm. and I uh, also worked for a man named J.P. Moreland, mm-hmm. who was a DTS guy a classmate of mine. as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, heard about the the program here that you were here that dan wallace was mm-hmm. here and all the great uh, scholarship that's coming out of dts both mm-hmm. in in the church and the popular culture and on and on the scholarly level as well so what i wanted to do is because in california i was an adjunct at, at three universities mm-hmm. and as a as a goal i have to be a, a full-time professor and have a church ministry mm-hmm. so the thm at dts was a seemed like a perfect fit to move me into a phd program okay and cesar we 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 know that you came to dallas three years ago but how did you get here um i had medical conventions every year in different state uh, states in mm-hmm. the u.s so every time i went to a conference i would stay a couple more days and visit seminaries mm-hmm. until one day I came to dallas and i just fell in love with with the program with mm-hmm. uh the curriculum, the the staff. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew this is what where I wanted to go. Okay. One last question about your background, and then we'll dive in. Uh, uh, so uh, you're all in various places in terms of the program. Cesar, I think you're the f- the furthest along. You're in your third year. Uh, what are you concentrating on as you pursue your studies? New Testament studies. New Testament studies. Yes. Okay. And Shane, historical theology. Historical theology. So he came to let sit under Dan Wallace, but he's ended up becoming <laughs> a historical theologian. Yeah. That happens to people too, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> and then, uh, and Mikhail, uh, it's early for you. You're still in your first year. I'm still in my general studies yeah, right now. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, that gives everyone kind of a sense of uh, of where you all are coming from. What I thought we would discuss, and what I'm interested in hearing your reflections on, is your experience here as, as people who have come from uh, participate in, in Christianity in the states, but as people who come to it from the outside who mm-hmm. didn't grow up here. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I'd like for you each to talk a little bit about about what you have experienced. Uh, initially, we'll keep it positive, and then we'll then we'll uh, uh, shift gears, but uh, what have you what have you gained? What do you feel like you've gained from from participation in 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 your Christian experience here here in Dallas? Um, well, initially when I arrived with my wife, we 
you, it's hard to believe how many churches there are in Dallas. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible to think there's so many evangelical Christians in one place. Mm -hmm. uh, there's churches in Dallas that have more Christians, more evangelical Christians than Ireland. I mm -hmm. mean, there's something like 4,200 evangelical Christians according to the 2011 census. So are we going to start an export movement? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we could use some. But yeah, it was it was incredible to see so much opportunity um, and just a real heritage of, of godly teachers. Uh, there's such a, a heritage here, especially in Dallas, mm -hmm. of people that are equipped to really help and instruct and teach their flocks. Um, and so to you're really spoiled for choice. I mean, we visited several churches and we could have been members of any of them. I mm -hmm. mean, the teaching was excellent. There was superb community and really good opportunities. Strangely enough, we finally settled on a Chinese Baptist church. Um, <laughs> you're you're, you're going to be known as the eclectic mix here. Yeah, I mean, you started out in Ireland, you've ended up in the Ukraine, you came to yeah. Dallas, and you ended up in a Chinese, Chinese church. church. That's right. That's right. I know. So, so, so how'd that happen? It's just the tofu, uh -huh. the food. No. <laughs> no, there's just a really, there's a really great community there. We really enjoy the church. The teaching is excellent, and, and there's some really good opportunities to serve. Um, and that's something we also seen is there's some really excellent ministries here. There's the church that I'm involved with does some prison outreach that I'm involved with. Um, Adult Sunday School, which is something new for me. I've never mm -hmm. seen that before in a church, hmm. um, which is really interesting and mm -hmm. very beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and just a lot of opportunities to, to serve and to to serve the community that that church is in. And so, yeah, it's a really good fit for us. Well, that's good. And you found and you've been there what now? Two years? Yeah, we've been actually eight months in that church. Now. I see. Yeah, I see. So you did. You took about a we year. We did. So. Yeah find yourself so so you did a lot of visiting of a lot of different uh -huh. kind and i bet that was unusual too given the seeing the variety oh, of yeah. what's available in yeah. terms of what you're used to there in your living room and you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so the music the music group alone was probably bigger than the church but <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah, yeah that's the choir was more yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's, it's incredible uh, wow. And Cesar, what about what about your experience here? It's very similar to Shane's. Uh, we visited at least five churches, and uh, we're really very impressed with them. Um, also, the level of uh, organization, of commitment, the, the quality of the teaching was really great. And we finally settled uh, in a Presbyterian church, the PCA church. Mm -hmm. um, we really liked the... the uh, the formalism, the the liturgy, mm -hmm. and so we stayed there since. Now uh, that raises an interesting question. Uh, you came, uh, I take it, you came out of a Catholic background. Yes. Is that right? So is is the landing in a in a church that has a little more liturgy just kind of a connection back to those roots to yes. a certain degree and yes, an appreciation of that? Because people in my country um, that are out of the Catholic background, they go to the other extreme, mm -hmm. and their churches are very. Uh, I would say emotional and kind of disorganized. So this kind of gave me mm -hmm. um, like a pattern from from where I came from. Hmm. So Interesting. That's uh, that's fascinating. Which church is it? Just curious. It's Park City Presbyterian Park Church. Church. Okay, yes. sure. Yeah, fine church. Yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter Grieve, Breathe, Receive Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. 
Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Mikhail? Yeah, right now uh, we're at Northwest Bible okay. right now, but throughout my, my adult years in the U.S., I've been part of churches as small as 35. Mm -hmm. I did a, a refugee church plant in Garden Grove in California, in oh. SoCal, uh, reaching out to Vietnamese refugees, mm -hmm. Sudanese immigrants, uh, Burmese, and mm -hmm. so forth, um, to, to one of those mega churches in, in Northern California, Bridgeway Christian Church with over 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, uh, a couple of the, the things that I noticed right away was, uh, one, in the Philippines, there's a, a strong um, acceptance of, of kind of a, a, a hierarchy mm -hmm. where you have the priest or the pastor up investments or, mm -hmm. or you know, uh, obviously in a, a place of power, and then the laity having a, a strong distinction between the two versus in the United States, oftentimes from, from a 35-person church to a 5,000-person church, you have first-name basis mm -hmm. uh, with pastor, um, pastors and genes, and kind of a, um, downplaying the, the distinction between the laity and the, um, the leadership. And another thing I noticed is just we, I mean, most compared to overseas, we have everything we need here mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. we, if we need something, we can buy it. I mm -hmm. mean, even a small 35-person church can, can get the resources that they need versus lots of small churches in, in the Philippines that might not even have a, a, you know, a church with four walls on it. Now, in, in, uh, and just let me know, I've never been to the Philippines, uh, is, I know a lot of people speak English, but is the main la language English in, on the island, or are there a variety of languages? There are a whole bunch of different mm -hmm. languages. Um, Tagalog or Filipino is the national language. Mm -hmm. um, many people in the city do speak some English. Many of them speak English well. Mm -hmm. um, but English is, is a language that you can speak around the country because of uh, the, the colonial past. Um, one thing that the United States did for the Philippines is um, train people in English so that there could be a unifying language. Mm -hmm. When I was a missionary back there, um, I went to a small little place called Tagbilaran. It's a tiny little island. Mm -hmm. You take a boat out to it. And I found all the cassette tapes in the entire world. I found out where they, <laughs> they ended up in this little CD store. Uh, there's like CDs for like two feet and then there's just like oh, a uh -huh. bunch of cassette tapes. While we were there, I was speaking with this guy and he spoke Cebuano, mm -hmm. which is another dialect. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking Tagalog to him, mm -hmm. a Filipino language. And he, we were having a little language barrier and I was like, are you more comfortable in English? And he said, yes. I said, well then, <laughs> we'll just speak English, why don't we? Uh, so English is a unifying language that Now, the uh, churches that you attended, what, what would their language have been the, the Filipino language or would they have been in English? They have services in both. Mm -hmm. So uh, most of the services would be in English and then maybe one or two services in Filipino or Tagalog. Okay. So that's a, a quite a variety, uh, and uh, well, you've observed sort of what you've what you've seen the the absence of a hierarchy and the availability of resources, and mm -hmm. and of course there's such a variety of resources as well. Uh, Shane, have you noticed anything in particular being here? What's what's kind of leapt out at you in terms of your experience? Uh, um, well, there are there are a few minor things that are different uh -huh. to what I'm used to. One is that the churches that I've been to generally didn't celebrate the Lord's Table or the Eucharist uh, weekly. It was usually a monthly thing. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be quite common in mm -hmm. uh, churches mm -hmm. in the South here mm -hmm. in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, back home, it was it was definitely a weekly thing. We mm -hmm. would always celebrate the Lord's Table together. So that was mm -hmm. one thing I kind of was trying to figure out. Now, is that because the your family has, I mean, in the States, if that were to happen, we would often associate that with uh, a church that having almost brethren kinds of roots or that's something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's really that interesting because that is a strong influence 
um, on the evangelical church in the western part of the country is the Brethren Church. Yeah, and so is that is that one of the reasons why the mm-hmm. why the uh, uh, Eucharist is celebrated weekly? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually at a church here in the states that that does that as well. But we're, yeah. you're right; it's the exception rather than the rule. It does seem to be. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. It probably is the Brethren influence um, on the church in the west of Ireland. Certainly interesting. So. Yeah. Um, and and so, how did you find that? I mean, when you're used to the usually when there are traditions that celebrate um, the Lord's table on a regular basis, um, and at least in the Protestant tradition, then uh, then the service is almost built around the mm-hmm. um, the observance of the communion in one way or another. And when you don't have that as a part of the service, it's like. What happened? Yeah, is that is that the feel? It is in a sense. Yeah, um, I, I miss it. Uh-huh. I do. Um, it seems it just seems odd that mm-hmm. it's not part of the daily or the weekly liturgical cycle or however mm-hmm. you want to put it. The the service. It does seem odd that mm-hmm. it's not part of it. Um, Interesting. But we've seen that in, in several churches here. So mm-hmm. That was just an observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any anything else that strikes you about what you've experienced here? Um, it's. Just a whole different culture. Uh-huh. It's, it really is. <laughs> well, we'll go to that list yeah. later. Okay, well, I'll come back to that because that's actually what uh-huh. we want to eventually focus on. Yeah. Um, uh, Cesar, what did you what did you find in your experience that's different from what you're used to in Latin America? And first, the the level of education of the lay people mm-hmm. here is is uh, very high. I mean, even lay people here could have more um, theological training than some pastors mm-hmm. down in Venezuela. And also that the fact that the the pastors are all, all paid mm-hmm. in in my country they they would mostly be bi- bivocational. Oh really? Yes, huh. yes. So the difference on that is that the pastors there will, will be preparing the sermon on Saturday night, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and can you tell? Yeah, yes. <laughs> so the quality is not so good yeah. as, uh, yeah. as it is here. Huh, interesting. Okay, well, well, that's uh, that. That's kind of what you've you've spotted. What do you feel like you have learned? From being here, Let, let's let's uh, keep on that for a second. What have you learned from your experience here versus the experience that you had overseas? And I'm going to do this in a different order this time. Cesar, I'll start with you. Learning in seminary, yeah, or learning in the, in your church experience, in your Christian experience here. If there's anything that's yeah, sure. First, the level of commitment of Christians here is it's uh, very high. People are uh, very committed to their churches. They mm-hmm. they tithe, mm-hmm. something that we don't do over there uh, mm-hmm. very much. Um, they're um, committed to teaching the small groups in the church, uh, going to uh, meetings. Um, they have small groups during the week, mm-hmm. so they're they're very integrated with their churches mm-hmm. here. So it, I'm very impressed with that. Hmm. Uh, Michael, one thing that I found in the United States is that we have a strong emphasis, and I, you know, perhaps it's because of the, the culture that we live in today, mm-hmm. but a strong emphasis on objective truth, mm-hmm. that, that the Christian claim is that Christianity is true, mm-hmm. and not just in a, in a, a personalized, internal, you know, feely kind of way. Um, in the Philippines, it's a, it's a Catholic culture, so mm-hmm. there's a kind of a cultural uh, Roman Catholic tradition hmm. um, that, that's undergirded really by, by animism. Mm-hmm. So you have Roman Catholic icons, uh, Christian um, traditions, and yet you have this, this different worldview underneath. Um, and so many people will, will say all the right things, but not really believe that they're objectively true. Hmm. Here, part of um, one of, one of the, the 
main turning points in my life uh, was when I, I made a, a recommitment to the Lord when I was in college at Biola. And it was really hammered home to me that if this is really true, if Jesus really rose from the dead in time and space, and there's no such thing as religious truth and regular everyday truth, mm-hmm. then this has to affect my whole life. Mm. Um, so that's one one good thing that I've that I've found here because uh, in in the Philippines there's a lot less of that emphasis on um, uh, procla- proclamation of objective truth. Hmm. Shane, um, yeah, I just see that there is a lot of really good. Um, things in place to equip the church members. Um, I think that's something that the, the Irish Evangelical Church can really learn from what's here uh, in, in the States. Things like adult Sunday school, I never I never knew such a thing uh-huh. existed. I mean, Sunday school was kind of just to take care of kids mm-hmm. when I grew up, um, but I'm really seeing the value of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to really try to build up and equip the congregation as a whole to become more theologically minded, to become mm-hmm more confident in thinking and expressing themselves as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just really see the value of that and mm. as something that I've really benefited from here. Um, yeah. Okay, now we're going to shift gears and I'm going to go to the really what I'm hoping will be our main topic, which is um, what do you think we could learn from uh, the Christian culture that you come out of. Um, what uh, what 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 things do you see there that you see uh, that you don't see here, or that you would would uh, have us think about? And and then we'll and then eventually we'll be moving towards the question of uh, what is it like to be a uh, Christian in a in a minority culture and and. and What's interesting about this, and this is just the luck of the draw, I guess, um, is all of you come out of backgrounds in which there's a heavy, there is a heavy Roman Catholic mm-hmm. influence. So it's still very uh, Judeo-Christian. Uh, one of the, uh, w- w- at some point we we will do this, and we'll do this with people who live in a context where the Christian influence isn't quite so great, and so it, it blurs that question a little bit. But uh, but let's start there. What what do you feel like? Uh, either you miss from your experience in Latin America, or that you, uh, or that you feel like uh, that our church at home does this does this well. I, I wish Americans got this. Yes. Well, as I said, um, Americans are very focused on efficiency, on excellency, mm-hmm. in time management. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as this impressed me, it kind of goes. I feel I feel it goes against them sometimes because they're not so much. Uh, People oriented as, mm-hmm. as as we are, mm-hmm. because uh, for for you, uh, time is just such a high commodity that mm-hmm. you know you, you want to take advantage of every you minute. Manage it, yeah. Yes, you manage it so mm-hmm. well. So um, sometimes people have needs that are outside of of, of that time, and mm-hmm. they, they need help right then. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't fit fit your schedule, mm-hmm. you might just try to postpone it. So mm-hmm. um, I think you could learn to be more people oriented. Um, I feel like when Churches over here, people just rush to their cars and leave. Uh-huh. Whereas over there, they they almost have to kick you out of the church. You just mm-hmm. stay and, and have community. So I think that's something you, you could learn. Yeah, community is a big deal. I I, I, I mean, I've lived in uh, two European countries and uh, have spent time some time in Latin America. I've taught at a, uh, at the Central American Seminary in Guatemala for I talked for several summers down there, and so. Um, 
that's the thing that I think I I noticed as well is that, and that would be true both in 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 the European communities that I've been a part of as well as the Latin American experience that I had at at Sateca was, uh, which is the Central American Theological mm-hmm. Seminary, uh, which is uh, when the people gather for church, uh, they're there, and and it isn't they aren't just there for the service; they're yeah. there for the congregation and people. Hang out and talk and engage and and um, you know, oftentimes uh, we'll hang around for lunch together after after mm-hmm. the service mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and so you know whereas in the states you'll often be home on a Sunday by noon at least in my experience overseas generally speaking that almost never happened mm-hmm. you were you were almost always either out to lunch with someone at church or something like that and you weren't home until. Three, sometimes three or four in the afternoon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll come back to you for more. Uh, Mikael, what do you? I've found that as well. Actually, uh-huh. uh, here in the in the United States, for the small churches I've been a part of, mm-hmm. actually, it's been more like that. Where where you, yeah, you are just out, and they have to kick you out of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are having lunch with one another and whatnot. But in the Philippines, the your church group was kind of like your friend group. Mm-hmm. It was what they call your barcada. It's just mm-hmm. like the gang, the guys, mm-hmm. and people all hang out together, and it is more event-oriented than, than time-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here we tend to, to program our fellowship times mm-hmm. so that we do have fellowship, but we have small group times, mm-hmm. we have Wednesday nights, we have um, times where we're supposed to get together mm-hmm. um, for a set period of time. In the Philippines, you had these villages or barangays that were kind of built like old cities where mm-hmm. you had the Catholic church in the center mm-hmm. or an evangelical church right right near there. And people would kind of um, all live with each other all, you know, the, mm-hmm. the whole week. Mm-hmm. And so going to church was just like going somewhere with your friends mm-hmm. and hanging out at people's houses. And we did, I did Bible study groups with college students that started at six, they'd have dinner about 7.30 or 8.00. Bible study go till about 10.30, mm-hmm. they'd hang out until 11.30, and mm-hmm. then many of them would go to work at call centers or at the airport, mm-hmm. and so some of them were nocturnal that way. Wow. But yeah, so definitely that, that kind of event-oriented, um, uh, community-oriented um, feel versus in the United States where some people say, uh, you know, the neighborhood is dead kind of mm-hmm. a thing, where you, you, go to, you live in one city, you go to church in another city, your kids go to school in another city, you take your kids to soccer in yet another city, and so forth, and there's less, less, less connectedness that way. Mm-hmm. Shane? Well, if you're having church in someone's living room, I mean, there's community yeah, right there. Right, right, I, mean, right. you know? yeah. I mean, growing up in, in my church back home, it was an extended family, more or less. I mm-hmm. mean, these people were, they were essentially like family. And I guess you don't get that in a church with several thousand people, and that's mm-hmm. just a consequence of architecture, I guess you could say. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're having a massive building with that many people in it, you're just not going to have that level of, of community. Right. Um, right. The church I actually go to, though, we all eat after the service, the mm. whole congregation. So mm. that they really do try to to bring in that sense of community. And we all we eat in a big sports hall and there's, there's loads of us there. Um, but one thing I, I guess I've seen or and this is not so much a, a critique of the churches that I've been to or attended, but more from talking to um, American Christians in mm-hmm. Dallas, is that there is, uh, it seems to be a lot of nominalism within mm-hmm. evangelicalism. And mm-hmm. it's it becomes, because evangelicalism is so much ingrained in, in Texas culture that it almost becomes a, a required or an expected thing for you 
and your family to be somewhat, you know, attending church at least on Sunday. Yeah, I think that may be more unique to Texas and to certain parts of the okay. South, and that's a, a particular characteristic of of American yeah. Christianity because because the, the Christian culture is so prevalent that it's possible, in fact, quite possible to to be a member of a church and to connect to it almost for social reasons as opposed mm-hmm. to substantive reasons yeah. and. Uh, that that is something that that uh, that you have, but if you if you live in the Northeast or you live in the Northwest of the United States, where uh, the percentage of people going to church is is much much less. I mean, in Dallas, on any given Sunday, you know, up to half people can be in yeah. church. That's v- very very unusual uh-huh. for the rest of the country. Um, in parts of the Northeast and in parts of the Northwest, the, the percentages are. Maybe not as low as Europe, but certainly moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in most uh, in Germany where I was, I think the percentage of people in church on a given weekend was like four or five percent. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, you know, it's that's a completely different kind yeah. of model. So, people who show up to church if, in Europe. In, when they're when it's that much of a minority are there because they very much have chosen to be there right and there's nothing in a sense there's no frills that's right there's nothing there that's to right. go to besides <laughs> Christian teaching I mean there's right. no programs there's no social clubs or like, there's just no frills mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's meeting in a stranger's living room mm-hmm. and you're not going to do that unless you really are interested in what they have to say join us next week for part two of the table podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.